Today is November 7th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chesukom, Aki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ghanai, and Bugani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutima Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot McKinstis as Michelle Rob or Michelle Elliott, another English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknives Dene. My father is a Canadian, and I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. Uh, my Dene lineage roots me in the land of the hair people, not hair as in hair as in rabbits. So, um, and we were called the hair people because we always shared, uh, showed up in um, Arctic hair fur, and uh, yeah, that's why. So anyway, we're also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene Nation is a visitor to this area of Clinchotine Indahe, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Um, and I am now officially moved to Lethbridge, which is still in Blackfoot territory. And uh, yeah, it's the the uh, hills of darkness of coal. So it's kind of interesting. I got to learn how to say that. Anyway, land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what I know as I walk down the red road. My native Calgarian Patreon account is where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd just love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps whichever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. You can also go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So today I have a returning guest. I have my friend here, uh, Shelly. Shelly, I'm so glad that you could join me today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here as well. I, um, I, it, it's, I met you in 2016, but that was only at a brief event. And then for a year, we've been working on st uh, a lot of things. So I will introduce myself. I am a settler of, um, 14 generations on Turtle Island, so on one side, so I know that um, my history has done colonial harm, and I have acknowledged this. I um, have worked through this within the book clubs and with Michelle that um, we can't, I understand being guilty for the past doesn't help the future, but doing better now 
and for the future generations, like my niece and nephew, will help um, move forward in the path of reconciliation. I am also an autistic female, um, and it's I've, I have to come on to pack that. Um, I'm trying not to mask. I don't look autistic, so uh, I'm trying to break that stereotype that you know I have a master's degree in disability and community studies. I um, I have a full-time job that I've been there for over five and a half years, almost a 15-year relationship, and I do activism on the side within the disability field and uh, in the Reconciliation Action Group. Yes, and you've been a really great ally um, in so many ways. And uh, last week I had Shane uh, Baker on, who is Indigenous and does have a disability, and I really thought you and I talking more about um, the disability like world and what does Indigenous disability look like from your perspective, as well as so many other things to unpack in that. Um, I was just talking to uh, one of my elders and we were talking about a non-Native who has uh, mental health issues, trying to get them uh, housing and such. And um, I'm new to Lethbridge, so the, this person happens to be female. So we were Googling the YWCA and, and seeing if the YWCA Lethbridge has, you know, some different things for this non-Native. And it, it's really ironic that you have two Native women um, looking up for a non-Native, but that's the series of the healthcare status that we have. And by chance, this elder, she had also ran against Rob Klein a million years ago. And, you know, I ran against Jason Kenney. And, you know, like we are trying to come up with the solutions and trying to talk about these issues. But, you know, as you know, Indigenous voices have been erased so well, let alone you know, the conversation about disabilities in general. So I just really appreciate you being on my show to talk about this uh, month specifically, because um, as you were saying, you're like, how come nobody knows it's Indigenous Disabilities Month? I'm like, um, I think I know the answer. And I think you know the answer. <laughs> so it ought to be a good uh, podcast to unpack that a bit. So I really appreciate you coming on to talk about some of the things you wanted to share. I really, um, because I know that I'm a white cis female and I have privileges. I, being a bigger lady, that's one privilege that I don't, I can't hide the sizes of like, uh, our society's fat phobic. Um, I just can't yes. get around that. Uh, like, yes, I, I, and I hate that because, um, you know, it's actually been indigenous women that have helped me really unpack a lot of that. Hmm. But when it comes to, there's something called pretty privilege too. Yes. And, you know, like you and I both have really pretty eyes. And I yeah. think that gets us into circles differently than people who don't. Mm -hmm. So our world is so wild, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, and the intersectionality by Kimberly Crenshaw, I always give her credit because I feel that, and it, it's been studied that Black women and Indigenous women and marginalized women don't get enough credit. Uh, so whenever I bring up intersectionality, I make sure that I bring up who, who who wrote it or who coined it because sure. um, I don't like speaking for people, but at the tables that I am at, I will be like, what about this? Um, I, um, when I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, yours included, and I make sure that I, a lot of them are disability related and of racialized um, 
disability or relation are racialized and I support them because that is very important to support creators of these th that are speaking the truth. Um, like, uh, yeah, and, sorry, <laughs> I get very anxious. Um, and what else is that people who are um, racialized and um, have disabilities are have so many intersectionalities so that they have the class because most people like who are say in Alberta who are on age uh, live below the poverty line and unless you're on uh, have supportive housing have family have uh, access to a low-income bus pass that's it then you can make age work kind of mm -hmm. um, but if you're in a small town like Medicine Hat or Lethbridge, I don't know about their transportation system. It doesn't, like, it's not a lot of money. And um, and then, because having a disability um, means you spend more on everything. Uh, yeah, because like a lot of individuals with disabilities have different sensitivities to food. And so their diets are different. So they have to spend more on food. And cheaper, uh, the cheaper food is not good for you. Um, no, and medication and yeah. um, AIDS. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I'm just learning about uh, these CPAC machines for sleeping. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like this is, I don't know, I thought it was standard stuff for older people, but it, it actually isn't. It's just for me yeah. and my family. Anyway, that bigger picture is that like these are really expensive devices. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend of mine um, who was a vet and he, um, just gave us one of his because uh -huh. he, as he said he got duped by some aggressive salesperson into basically getting a CPAC machine that he didn't need and I I was just gobsmacked that anybody would take advantage of a vet of somebody with a disability but at the same time it's like Michelle like seriously you've lived 44 years on this planet you don't know this yet and it's like yes I know this I just I don't know what it is even about me where it's like even after all this time after all of the awful stuff i've seen people do some jerk off gets commissioned by basically margin or uh, taking advantage of the most vulnerable people in our society and and i know in canada we're all cool with it because i've seen it example after example so yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack there about what it's like to have a disability and you know intersectionalities of these different components of it and you know i'm saying this as um as a white indigenous person there are black indigenous people there are uh you know full blood indigenous people um there's so many things to unpack there how many people are still judge women or or i guess indigenous people in general as are you native you don't look native and it's like well you know that there are different natives than just a stereotype you were fed from hollywood that usually yep. is like a black face so you know that that's not okay like we're still there we're still there yes and individuals like the that exactly uh with i'm just going back to the cpap um they were talking about one insurance company did this because see if you have a CPAP it's important like from even from mild to moderate to moderate to severe like just to have for help for your health to from what I understand I'm not no expert but to have it to help you sleep and 
for the health conditions. Yeah. What insurance started it, you had to, for them to um, insure, because I'm on a CPAP, to insure, to get insured for CPAP supplies and CPAP, you now have to have moderate to severe, not mild to moderate. So they have, they're cracking down on that. Because one insurance started it, now they all did it. Holy. And, and now there's a huge recall of, um, of CPAP machines by Philips, or is it rest? No, I think it's Philips. It's not, and it's not very public, but it's. It's, and, it's real. I know, um, actually this gift that was given to us that um, was, I was told by my person who's giving me mine, that mm -hmm. there was a big recall. And I did, of course didn't know. So I posted it as soon as I knew. And then uh, this one that was gifted to us, it's, it falls under a lot of the recall stuff. So I'm going to be working with them to try to get the proper pieces all together and then uh, go from there. And then, um, like my auntie said, you should have a backup. My auntie has one of these machines that help you sleep and yeah. she has a backup. So um, yeah, so that's where kind of where we're at. And so I'm waiting for approval for my machine and then we'll have this backup one as well. And just in case, so, but obviously with the correct components i don't want to be you know cancer causing um you know breathing and using that in any capacity so no and it's <laughs> yeah. the, it's it's the whole machine it's not just one component because it's the gases and the foam breakdown but i yeah and then about the uh, people say well you don't look autistic and well what does autism look like and it, the, it what you're talking about is with the indigenous too is we're not a monolith like, I'm not indigenous, but like disability or uh, any ra a racialized group is not a monolith. But they, but when say, say, but what I'm trying to say is when say uh, a white male shooter goes and does what they do, they speak about him as an individual, but any racialized other person, he gets lumped in a group. It's like, all the black men well no it's that one person but the way they talk about it it's all but when it's a white man it's that one person which is not fair yeah yeah I and agree. and i know i don't i i read so much about anti-oppression um like the black lives matter literature and indigenous and a lot of memoirs i don't know where i i heard this but 50 percent of black men that have been shot in the states have a some sort of disability that's not public and they won't report on that mm -hmm. and that's just sad well actually there's a really great quote about you know who are the most um like how you treat your most vulnerable populations is like really a reflection of your society mm -hmm. and i think that's such a great thing to be talking about how you know how instead of dealing with mental health in a positive respectful way we just shoot and kill people and uh, especially if they're not white and to me that's a, a disgusting form of like eugenics really and i it, it's shocking to me everybody seems just to be okay with it and you know and i think uh canadians especially kind of grow up with this idea that oh we take care of folks with disabilities but we actually don't and um here in alberta like i re remember very specifically when ralph klein made the choices that he did to basically um kick out people with mental health disabilities and um you know everyone was really cool with it and then there's this big increase in crime and it's like well what did you expect when you know people in poverty who are 
you know, not given jobs who are not hired as, um, you know, and, and can maintain a, a position, you know, it, we don't have allowances for folks with disabilities. We don't um, accommodate their needs in any capacity. So. I, I agree with you. And when, because I work in disability, I live in disability, it doesn't shut off at five o'clock. So my sister's developmentally delayed. I didn't know I had disabilities until I was 19. I wasn't properly identified as autistic until I was 38. So I started unpacking that when I was 38. I've been autistic since I was a kid, but that's how little they know about autism in females. Because, oh, she's just quiet. She just likes to be by herself and they just miss it. And I have learned a lot of workarounds on how to work um, work really di di diligently and um, that way. I find why I'm so passionate about disability and the indigenous rights is because they're really intertwined because as you said, how you treat your most vulnerable uh, individuals in society um, is a reflection. And the fact that uh, disabilities, people, especially anything with mental, anything with the brain um is very is very stigmatized and yes. stereotyped yes and if you if you're a white man in a in a wheelchair it's like there's nothing wrong but you say you're autistic or you have anxiety or depression or bipolar oh god like it, it's 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 another thing it's so, interesting you should say that because uh it was just recently um adhd month or awareness week and um you know we were reading through it and uh, everyone i know has some form of adhd that is open about it you know all have said that they also weren't diagnosed until they were older and even my husband and i were talking about the stigma that still comes with having any sort of any sort of anxiety adhd mental health type diagnosis and the irony is we're supposed to be getting help for folks with these conditions, but we don't. Um, kind of like you were suggesting, you know, insurance companies have it all figured out so that they don't have to really fund these things and they don't, and and who has insurance for these things? Like, you know, in, in, we have another myth in, in Canada about, you know, universal health care. So of course that gives us this idea that we somehow take care of our most vulnerable when in fact we do not. And this is just another example of it. Yeah. and. My parents just wanted, uh, this is just when my sister got on age and she didn't have much money. Like all her money is from age. Um, they wanted a insurance policy. She's healthier than I am, uh, but because she has a disability or developmental delay um, and she's on PDD, so her IQ is under 70 and she's hearing impaired. She was denied uh, insurance just for a funeral. My parents wanted to ensure she had a funeral not some payout, just term insurance for, uh, for, uh, for, yeah, it's, it was, and I tried to get uh, coverage when I wasn't working this in a few years, this is many years ago, um, and I wasn't uh, common law on my husband's uh, plan uh, back then, and I was denied in a day because of pre-existing mental health conditions. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So like that has to end immediately. Like mm -hmm. we can't, we can't, 
how is that not a discrimination against folks with disabilities? Like, yeah. how has that not been tried under our, our own human rights principles? Like, clearly that is a violation. Yeah. And I mean, again, this is coming from the country where we have to have Jordan's principle for Indigenous people because of this yeah. exact problem. It's exactly. like, well, nobody wants to cover mental health issues, but like legitimately, are you in healthcare to care about people or are you in there for, you know, profits on insurance company margins? And it's very clear to me that that is more what, you know, our, our so-called healthcare system is based upon at this point. Exactly. And when I talk about racism, I say uh, white people are just waking up to racism. I don't mean like racism broadly. I'm like talking about environmental racism and medical racism. If you bring that up to the t average white person, they would not know what you're talking about. But these terms have been, and these concepts have been researched for a long time. If they're just waking up to the general racism and microaggressions, they will be shocked at ableism and how how prevalent and how ingrained it is in our society. I had somebody told me, oh, I don't think you're disabled, Shelly. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I think I have the, I have the uh, papers to prove it. I'm sorry, you know, and, and I say that because I know exactly what it's like to be that person thinking I know best, thinking, um, but again, being in a culture of stigma and not wanting that for people that we care about. And it's like, but that's exactly the problem. <laughs> like we can't, if I was diagnosed with um, a broken knee in some capacity, we would give it surgery, we would move forward. But when it comes to mental health, when it comes to brain disabilities, when it comes to anything to do with emotions, even women's health in general, like yeah. it, we just have this taboo about it. And I like it, it's ironic because I know, um, again, people come to Canada thinking it's the land of milk and honey, but the truth is it's not. And uh, God forbid you have any sort of trauma and you have absolutely no resources in this country because it's still all Christian based and which is not uh, trauma informed and not accommodating to folks with trauma. And, um, and it, it doesn't matter who it is, whether you're white or brown or black, it, like there's no, no, uh, allowances and, and worse, stigma and denial of insurance. And the fact is we still rely so much on insurance. I mean, if my husband didn't have um, insurance through his uh, work plan, you know, if we had to, if my, my daughter and I had to depend specifically on Indian affairs, we wouldn't be getting any healthcare at all. Um, and in fact, my daughter is still considered non-status um for now uh because you have to go through all these hoops in order to get mm -hmm. your status and the ironically it was somebody else who went through all of those hoops to create s3 to allow my daughter to possibly get their status and you know it, it's hard because my husband and her are getting excited at the idea of having status which i have had to unpack for 10 years and I am, I'm still not comfortable with the idea of her getting status because I know what it's like to be discriminated against because your status, <laughs> but she's going to be discriminated against no matter what anyway. And I have to just get over that. And at least she has a better idea of, of what that means than what I did. When I got my status, I just assumed that meant going up to the UFC saying, no, I'm status and being able to walk in and do my post-secondary education and I was an idiot <laughs> and 
I mean that. Oh, look at, I'm talking about um, disability and I used an ableist term. You know, like I am that able-bodied person that has always tried to, um, you know, recognize I'm using problematic language. Um, I'm trying to use the terminology wild <clears throat> instead of crazy because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was brought up, it's okay to use the word crazy. And uh, of course, that's very uh, dehumanizing for folks who have uh, disabilities, and but also folks who have disabilities that aren't even being properly recognized and not getting properly proper care because of the stigma that's attached to it in our stupid society that people actually think we take care of folks with disabilities when we don't. And this is, and that's why I'm very open about being autistic because the stigma is that all autism or like even with Sheldon and on Big Bang Theory and uh, the, the new show and uh, oh, what is the other one? Uh, it'll come to me, I have a very bad memory. Um, the, the Good Doctor, Sheldon never evolved. He, he stayed constant and he's not a true representative of an autistic person mm. um and with the good doctor they've arced him a little they, he, they, he's grown but he's still he's still not true representative like we're an anxious bunch like and a lot of people think that uh it's a little boy who plays with trains is an autistic person and there's a big stigma that there's autism with or without a, a development delay and there's there's two separate diagnoses and I've talked to parents that don't know the difference. And uh, it, there's a big difference because uh, the, just the autistic diagnosis has nothing to do with IQ. And you tends to be a higher IQ with just, IQ, with, just autism for them or, or just, or normal IQ. And then with the delays, when you have the development of delay. Mm. So when you say you're autistic, they, because it'd be very insulting to me to say that I have a developmental delay. Um, I don't. Um, I'm very functional. Um, but the, I don't want to discriminate against people with developmental disabilities because I know how hard it is. I, I, I'm private and private guardian and trustee of my sister. And I try to make sure that she's very happy. And if she wants to spend $100 on yarn, well, she could spend $100 on yarn <laughs> to make her happy um so well, but that there is a conversation there to have about the idea of quality of health like yeah. why are folks with any sort of disability denied quality of health uh quality of yeah. life spirit happiness yeah. like it and that's a whole other conversation but i'm glad you you mentioned it because it's important yeah. to say like we have to quit dehumanizing folks and remember yeah. that they have joys they have dreams they have you know vacations like yeah you know and if vacations are normalized why are they not for everybody exactly and accessibility for people with disabilities means accessibility for all curb cuts were a huge thing back in the day but people that use strollers that use um trolleys for package delivery or water jug are very happy to have them because curb cuts are an accessible thing if you didn't have elevators well, who wants to walk to the fifth floor? <laughs> Not me. Honestly, Shelly, you know, when yeah. I ran for municipal politics, it yeah. really bothered me that for my daughter, I needed this huge chariot wheels in order to navigate around because mm -hmm. it was just 
um, so inaccessible, just the sidewalks. And like mm -hmm. in, in my area that I was in, you know, we only had sidewalks on one side of the road, not the full, not both sides. And, and that's quite common in mm -hmm. uh, Calgary urban development because it's yeah. cheaper. And, you know, like we don't question these things when we should be questioning these things. Like, um, and, and if I, as an able-bodied mom was having problems getting around and there weren't very many pass systems for me or my um, you know, my dogs, my, my daughter, when I was, you know, when they're little, you try to get them outside and walk them around a bit. And, you know, there just wasn't that infrastructure in place. And I was in a really well-established community that had been established since uh, the early eighties and there wasn't infrastructure. And well, in my area, but didn't have very much represent representation in general. So anyway, there was a lot to unpack there, but it was shocking to me. Um, you know, all of the playgrounds in our area, provincially, that was part of the reason why I wanted to run because they were expired. Um, so all of the playgrounds, like they have that lifespan and they were expiring, yeah. but none of them were accessible for, for folks with disabilities. <clears throat> and it, it, it's like, I catch myself, like I still have ableist terms and I will text myself saying crazy or sure. stupid or like, I'm trying to catch myself. And even when I'm writing, I, I'm trying not to use functional levels like high functioning and low functioning because you're putting, uh, you're putting function on people. Where I try to use high support needs and low support needs because it's a, it's a fluid. Oh, um, I really appreciate that. I hope not just myself but all of our uh, listeners like hear what you just said because I, I do think I see people using the terminology high functioning, low functioning and higher support versus lower support is such a better way to put that. So I really mm -hmm. appreciate that teaching. And I even seen somebody say high and low support needs are even ableist, but I'm like, you know, it's not what I feel um, being in this, like I've had 20 years paid uh, work in the field and I've lived it since I was five. Well, since I was born, but around since I was five is that you just have to, it's not so much the language. The language, I'm very sensitive to language, but it's also how we treat each other. If we treat each other like crap, the language isn't gonna matter. We have to treat each other better. Sure. And, and Trevor Noah said a problem, like they, the R word was, is still being used. And I, I can't stand hearing that word. And uh, then it was the short bus. And then um, he was talking about DD. Well, what is DD? Developmental delayed. So they just keep changing it. But the, it's the attitude towards people with disabilities, especially developmental delays, is um, I don't like the word developmental delay. I think they need to come up with something because developmental delay maybe leave hope to the family that they may catch up. But they might, because my sister, who my other sister, I have two sisters, thought my other sister might catch up. It's like, uh, no, she's never going to catch up, but that's because it's not taught in schools about disability unless you have somebody disabled in your class. And we're like, language is so finicky. Like, if somebody says, I suffer, I hate that. Like, you don't say suffer from unless it's like suffer from trauma or suffer from pain. And you, that's very subjective. It's very like, I can't, like, if it's like torture, yes, you're suffering from torture, but you're putting like you're putting a judgment on somebody else let that person say that they're they're suffering but to say they're suffering from a disability that's not on you to make it's on them uh to say because uh, they may not be that's your that's how you view it 
No, that's such a great point. I think I use that terminology quite frequently. I mean, I'm trying really hard when it comes to unpacking things to like words have a lot of power and I say things I don't love. Um, that's for sure. So I just really appreciate that. And I think, I hope not just myself, but I hope other people are reflecting on what you're saying, um, you know, projecting what your assumptions are onto other people with terminology like suffer. You know, and it's, it's just great teaching. And it's it, like even medical professions, like the quality of life, um, because I've been listening to some uh, around COVID, I've been listening to some podcasts that um, in the States, I, they were going to, it didn't happen, but they were fighting this policy or law that if somebody, a dis, somebody with a disability had, I may not get all the facts right, so, uh, but this is the general terms, Constantly. that if somebody, yeah, if they had a, dis, if they were, on, they were disabled and they had a, uh, they had a uh, ventilator and somebody needed a ventilator and was going to live or had they had better quality of life according to these factors they would get the uh they would take the disabled person off the uh, ventilator and give it to them now it didn't actually happen to my knowledge but they were fighting it in the states um oh, I, that's eugenics yeah and there is a lot of eugenics around disability that we're still fighting um like uh autism speaks I don't, sorry, I'll go back. I jump around a lot. Sure. Uh, uh, the, they were fighting it. Um, I was on Disability Visibility Podcast with Alice Wong. She was talking about bioethics. Um, with, it, was, it came upon a few podcasts on, of hers about sure. how the quality of life is actually very subjective and you can't, you can't do that with people with disabilities. There are, it's different standards. Um, cause my quality of life on paper may look very different. And so it, yeah, they were talking about that. They, they actually fought it. Some states re rescinded. I didn't have enough time to look, actually look into the full details, but that was actually a policy. Wow. And, um, yeah. So <laughs> interesting that, um, when, when, um, us, Canada, the Western allies had invaded uh, Germany, there was mm -hmm. something called Operation Paperclip in the States, and there was a similar operation here in Canada, I can't remember it offhand, but it was basically taking the German scientists and bringing them here for their brilliance, and it's just been reflected in so many of our um, policies in medical field, and it creates such harm, um, but it's also harmful in our terminology that we use, and our society, it's so prevalent, it's so pervasive. That's why Asperger's is on um, may I don't know if that's why it was taken out of the DSM, but that's why it's fallen out of use is because Hans Asperger's was in the Third Reich in Germany. And he basically got to choose how to who to who got to live and die. So um yeah, he was part it's so it, it, I just know he was in the third right. I there's so much in disability to take to dive into everything, to know every single fact is, I just know he had something to do with the third right. And it's all on the internet. I, it's just, there's so much to learn. And then, and then there, with autism and ABA therapy, it's the same people, um, the same person or same group of people that came up with a conversion practice. I agree with you, it's not therapy. And people are still fighting for ABA. 
So if they came up with conversion practice, why would ABA be any better? And they're talking, it's on research that ABA is like dog training for children. We were watching Deadpool um, and the whole X-Men concept, the Marvel universe has that yeah. idea of like, um, uh, kind of just along what you were saying, it's, it's still like the bad guy is still um, religious based, Christian based and still, yeah. you know, doing this type of so-called yeah. therapy when it's so painfully not therapy. Um, and it, it was just interesting because I'm like, I'm literally trying to watch I, I watch, um, you know, fantasy and all of yeah. the, like intergalactic stuff to not think about politics in our life. And it's like, even yeah. watching the X-Men, you're like, you know, reminded of the conversion therapy and the crap, craptastic ways that we have like influenced religion into our um, so-called mental health strategies. And yeah. I just, it's so gross. <laughs> I agree. And, and then we got like organizations that like autism speaks is the biggest in uh, the States and it has influence on some organizations in Canada. I can't speak to which one it is. Anyone that uses the puzzle piece, um, mm. they want to cure autism and I don't need a cure. I'm fine. Um, I think different. I, I do things different. Yes, I have a disability, um, but I think different and I come up with things differently. So I don't need to be cured. We do not need to be cured. No, so, the opposite. We need to appreciate your perspective, your thinking, your ways of processing. And, yeah. you know, like that's the ironic part. And, and I'm going to give like full disclosure. When I first had my daughter, that was when they were first talking about autism. I read all of Jenny McCarthy's books. I have mm -hmm. them, actually. I think yeah. I just got rid of like belly laughs and uh, baby laughs because it was it was really great for when you first have a have a child if you're a reader mm -hmm. anyway and of course I read all of her stuff about autism and yeah. all these things that are related so you know I, I had a lot of unpacking to do when it came to autism because you know it, we were still in a very fear-driven um, as as moms you know mm -hmm. you can prevent autism and it's like well then if I can prevent autism I want to but it wasn't until I was a little older and understood that like, this isn't something that you get to choose. This isn't no. some, it's something that, you know, by not giving baby formula, your kid doesn't get to have autism. It's like, it's, it's not that simple. Um, but, you know, at the time when you're a new mom, that was very influential. So, you know, that's just full disclosure. That's, yeah. I'm, I'm packing that too. And I was going to school uh, for, the start of the disability studies stuff because I have the disability studies diploma community rehab bachelor and disability studies masters I was um in the beginning I the reason why I didn't go into social work <laughs> kind of funny as uh, I was having a what I thought was a mental health breakdown but it was actual autism break break burnout because of my grandma was passing and I did the big transition from post second from high school to post-secondary so Sure. I, the reason why I didn't go into social work was it had a 50-hour volunteer window and I'm like I don't want to do that but I had the 50 hours I just I wasn't doing well so I was working with between friends clubs with my sister at camp like well she was going to that camp but I was volunteering there cool. but I'm glad because it allows me to think as more of a capacity building uh, rather than because I see what the child welfare system has done which is another part of the genocide of um the indigenous people as well as the dis 
family it's got a lot of issues with families with disabilities as well god yes so it's it, the child welfare system needs to be reformed i don't know how i don't know how um i don't have those answers i'm a really and truly like i i don't know if you know of velvet martin uh she's an activist in edmonton she created something called samantha's law so samantha yes. was her child who had a disability and at that time uh the way the colonial laws were set up for colonial um belief systems was that yeah. if your child had a disability it automatically went into foster care system with the assumption it would get every single thing um service medical needs done as possible but at a certain point um you know people started to question that and Velvet Martin, the mother of Samantha Martin, not just questioned it, but said, you know, this is wrong. Why are you not giving parents the resources? And exactly. um, Samantha, unfortunately, when she was in the system deteriorated and um, they gave her back to Velvet when she was dying and, um, and she died. So Vel uh, Velvet worked really hard to create what was called Samantha's Law. And that was giving access to any anything to parents rather than having to force them to give it up. But sadly, that is still the reality in all of the other provinces. So Velvet wanted to do that work um, nationally, but mm -hmm. she was only able to get it done in only in Alberta. And I always thought, so that means in every single province in the rest of the freaking country, mm -hmm. this is still common practice. And uh, it's disgusting. And we have like there's everybody wants to do accessibility but it's cheaper to when you sorry that and that's off topic um yes i agree like we need to work together and this is why with all marginalized groups we can't if we just work together we're not in a monolith but if we work together we have a lot of the similar we have a lot struggles. of the struggles yeah if we work together we could get so much more done. I was in a meeting and I'm and I was like, disability is one of the only ones. I, somebody said you could join the LGBTQ2 plus S group. I, I don't know how, but that's not my that's not I don't belong to that group. So I don't I still have to figure out how you can join it when maybe it's unpacking that because you've been repressed and then being your true identity, you can that, join that one. But I, I I'll be ignorant. I don't understand that. Um, I will say that. Um, but disability, you can join any point in your life. You can be temporary or it can be permanent. And as you age, you will most likely join that community. So being the biggest minority, I'm like in this meeting I was at, let's work together to be a bigger voice. And everybody was kind of on board. This one person um is like well we need more representation from this business i'm like okay but why don't we work together because if if we all try to fight we're not going to get anywhere mm -hmm. i think that's when i i texted you a few days ago that with the uh talks i think the the climate change that all the indigenous groups they talked about how they were working together it was all about women and it was in a positive light it was it was so nice to see it was or to hear that they're actually talking about indigenous women in a positive light it, they talked they centered on canadian indigenous women about the environment and how they're fighting it was it was really nice to see 
because uh, you know, we know that disabilities and indigenous women in in the media usually tend not to be positive stories because in we even in the disability world have a Stella Young coined it. Uh, she has a TED talk called "I'm Not Your Inspiration." Uh, coined it uh, "Inspiration Porn." It's for people who are able-bodied, like you know the um, as a person of a disability, saying the only uh, disability is a bad attitude or something like that. With or some guy taking a child with Down syndrome to or a teenager with Down syndrome to the prom, like that's an inspiration porn to make people that aren't disabled feel better about themselves. Ooh. That's why it's called inspiration porn. You know, we do trauma porn and, and um, like our Canada does trauma porn against indigenous people, um, against all marginalized people for that matter. And so I know how gross that feels already. Just you saying it, I'm like, yep, that's Canada. We just totally exploit something to make able-bodied straight cis people white feel amazing like things are okay um you know and, and a great example uh you know copaganda where you have police who are like oh my god look at i'm gonna give ice cream to this marginalized demographic to make me look so good you know like it, it's just we do this so naturally in this country and it's so gross and yet we think we're the freaking heroes. And I mean, I'm saying that because you know damn well I'm a liberal and you know in liberal progressive liberal circles, like this is like literally the air they breathe on. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We're gonna donate to this underprivileged um, country that we actually exploited and our country in, in Britain actually, you know, created this problem 200 years ago, but we're gonna give food now or we're gonna give climate change money, yay! Because we're such heroes, but really that is exploitation. Yeah. And we do it in an in inspirational way. So everything you just said makes total sense. And I hate that we do it. <laughs> it it's like CTV news or one of the news, I think it's CTV, I can't remember. Sure. They, keep they keep talking about the gentleman in, from the humble Broncos uh, crash. Okay, that's fine. It was a very tragic bus crash. Yep. That's fine. Yeah. Um, however, it bugs me that they keep showing his progress that he he went to asia to get um some experimental treatments try to walk again like they're trying to show that you know you can you know just overcome disability like if you have enough money like i just it it, it bugs me every time it comes on it's like disability is not a bad word disability is not a dirty word like well, and then it's the other part is that like everybody in this country knows that hockey players are, are now an elite group mm -hmm. with parents who have a hell of a lot of money and it is so exclusionary and it's so toxic. And I mean, decade after decade, we have examples of it, whether it's Eric Lindros, whether it's Graham James, whether it's now we have this issue going on again. And it's like, when are people going to get like, we're talking about the most upper class part of Canadians play hockey. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, of course, if they were that, you know, rich enough to put their kids through uh, professional elite sports, of course, they can afford to take them to other fucking countries to get these, you know, um, experimental 
ideas that the rest of us would have no like hope of ever achieving because you know most of us don't even have vacations i mean anyone who listens to my stupid podcast knows that you know yeah. it, it would i'm no position to be doing these types of things and all of those liberal conventions that i've been able to go to like but that's based off of fundraising and um you know donations it's not based off of like all of the money that i have it, it's incredible to me like how people like i know people who vacation twice a year once in the winter and once in the summer and hats off to them that they can afford to but like there's such a disparity mm -hmm. so for somebody like and i'm i was literally talking to a, a young um about a young woman who mm -hmm. she's not that young but ultimately she was disowned by her family they knowingly with a you know young girl put her on the streets they knowingly she has some type of on you know disability that's never been properly diagnosed i i don't understand this society it's you know it's so-called pro-life but the moment that they're, they're here there's no obligation to them it's pro-birth they want the baby as yeah. soon because if you say they're like i don't want abortion okay well let's raise your taxes because uh, the child needs to be taken care of Oh, I don't because like they, they need to have clothing, they need to have school, they need to have health care. Oh well, you can't raise my taxes. Well then who's gonna look after the child because the mom can't because they they work uh um they have minimum wage job, they work forty hours, but they can't afford to live in this city or in this country, in the States either. So they're just pro birth. They are not pro child. Oh, I know, and it makes yeah. me so upset that we we I I'm livid this week, especially out of any weeks, because Elon Musk said, well, World Health Organization, if you can give me a business plan of why, you know, if I invest X amount of billions of dollars that we can feed the world, then I'll consider it. And I'm like, first of all, start paying living wages, you know, so shut the hell up. You know, like, I, I don't even know where to start with how gross that was, that he had the audacity. Like, you know, we were seriously thinking, okay, well, the next thing is everybody needs to have a tesla and i'm like oh yeah i'm pretty much i think at this point now we will never have a vehicle as opposed to buying a tesla because that was so gross i mean he's gross at so many levels but this oh, was yeah. like the ultimate of it. it's like you so now we have to show you the business plan because you refuse to pay your taxes because you refuse to pay living wages like come on oh um, you're yeah i think Elon Musk is Caitlyn Jenner to the autistics. <laughs> we do not, he does not represent us. He, he's, he, he's a privileged, he needs to pay his taxes. He needs to, uh, yeah, he needs to shut up. Oh my God. He just drove me mental. And that, and that was actually, uh, like it just, it's a new realization that he actually does have autism. I actually forgot about that. To me, he's still just a rich white guy that, is so privileged she just walks around like well you show me how to solve mm -hmm. world like clearly un unaware of what colonialism is because we're just mm -hmm. going to launch into space and you know take over another planet because you know colonialism is like is something he lives and breathes and doesn't and is yet completely aware of just like his white privilege holy yeah and like yeah he he may be autistic but he does not represent us and <laughs> There is a big divide in the autistic community, like between um, 
the autistic uh, adults and parents with children that have autism because some parents don't want to listen to as adults and um, explain like just what's going on but that's there's there's divides in all communities and language is a big issue with disabilities because it's like other person first or I hate when I hear special needs or special abilities just call it disabilities or disabled it's not dirty work like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't have special abilities sorry that's my little rant <laughs> um, no no and and I know we I know I know on your your podcast you've talked about uh, defund the police. I think I know that's such a trigger word. It's not defund the police. It's redistribute their um, budget for pre prevention programs to like pre programs that uh, I want to say the root cause like help with mental health, help with poverty, help have stable housing for individuals that are houseless. Because uh, I was watching Trevor Noah, uh, The Daily Show, they t or no, it was John Oliver. Sorry, I watched both of them. But he was saying, like, if you just give them housing and then do everything else, stuff helps. It's more cheaper to help people in homes and then do the addictions program, then do this. It costs a lot less money to put individuals into houses than to work with the justice system, the healthcare system. So look at housing look at rent subsidies and just redistribute we don't need cops with a tank and I'm, i don't count desert but like in the state we do actually oh we do yeah oh, okay. i i some stuff i can't keep up with everything um but like we don't need a tank we need better prevention programs for youth uh we need more funding for mental health um, more like why are cops going to wellness checks if they're going to wellness checks they should have not be the first person at the door but should maybe a social worker and hang back because that could be a very big trigger uh, and then like half the, I, I don't know the statistic but a lot of people in our prison systems our remand have mental health issues so why are jails the new mental health system that makes no sense to me so I think redistributing our, and taking things off the, their plate and putting it back on health and putting it back in the social service industry, that needs reform too. I think um, working in this system, I find that so many people need learn ableism, uh, learn what is ableism. Um, and uh, if you're just in social service for a paycheck, you need to leave. Um, that's, I know that's harsh, but, um, I can tell you though, like we had a, a friend, a family friend, and he was a social worker and he seen, um, you know, the worst of the worst where mm -hmm. social workers uh, force single moms to sleep with them in order to keep their kids. And, you know, he couldn't, after a month was like, I can't watch this. There's no accountability. They have more rights than the police do. And we already know the police are above the law. Like it, it is like, you, it, it's, one of those industries that if you have no idea about it, you think they're angels, but they're literally the devils. And our community, the indigenous community have been talking about the human trafficking and such that they're responsible for, that there's never been accountability on at all. And um, every year, the Office of the Child Advocate here in Alberta puts out a new report talking about this one focused a lot more on the opioid crisis but like you know all the unaddressed issues that happen in this industry i 
when I ran provincially, like I have a multitude of reports. There's one that comes mm -hmm. out every year that explains all of the things wrong that need recommendations that are never put forward and never implemented. Nobody cares because yeah. they just think everything is swimmingly. And meanwhile, Indigenous kids are dying in the system and everybody's okay with it because the sooner we can get rid of that Indigenous population and steal this land and feel good about it, the better. So, you know, that's just where we're at. And it frustrates me to no end because I find the more I read, the more I learn, since 2016, I've just immersed myself in my special interests. I will, uh, to stereotypic autism, stere uh, special interest is disability justice and human rights. They're so intersecting. Sure. So I've read so much about all this stuff um, and podcasts and talk to people. Um, is that, where was I going? Um, that your one decision as a social worker um, affects the family. And I just like gatekeeping. Uh, my family had issues with my sister and the feds. She, it, when, she, when I was in grade six, I thought it was the provincial government, but it was the federal government. She wasn't disabled enough for them because they were receiving the disability tax credit. And they, my parents had to pay them back or else they go to court, yada, yada, yada. So my parents paid them back, got three different doctors to say my sister was disabled enough. And they, the federal paid, the federal government paid them back with interest. But like she's straightforward PDD, straightforward H. So she like her IQ is 48. So like, I only know this cause I seen her capacity assessment when I moved. Um, that's why it's in my head. Um, <laughs> so like, she's like, it's not gonna get better but yet she wasn't disabled enough in the nineties. Mm -hmm. So it's very frustrating. And how many people, how many, like, if we, I could go on, it's just so frustrating. And I see disability, disabilities with racialized individuals, their fight is almost the same, same but different, but fighting for the same cause. Yeah, but with the barriers of, you know, racism and that bias. And like, I'd, I just got my vaccine shot, my third one. And the both times I had to see a white, um, nurse both times it was grilling and grilling and grilling and I finally said to the lady I do you need to see my first nations like Indian at card would that help you feel better and she was like oh no 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 but the point is is that when there's white people you have to justify your existence and, and that's gross like <laughs> do your job or don't like if you yeah. really just hate natives and you don't want to give us shots then don't do it don't do your job i'd yeah. rather have a shortage than a racist nurse expecting me to explain why it is i need a covid 19 shot and i get it before somebody else in her life that she thinks should probably get it before me so you know i just i'm so tired of this conversation and i'm tired of the bias in the health community and i'm tired of voters electing these politicians that allow the status quo to continue so do you have any ideas what we we could do as just regular people to advocate better or I think, with disabilities i think keep fighting um sure. you have to speak up uh, but it, speaking up and speaking over is two different things uh like writing to your mla writing to your politician in city council um because disability and um, I would even argue any uh, racialized issue, it, 
is in every politic, every political issue. Yeah. It, it, it touches everything. Sure. So it's it's not being quiet. It's not it's it's standing up. And I talked to. I talked. I, you know, I didn't talk to any mayor candidates, but I talked to the CBEs, uh, CBE trustees. I talked to all. Um, well, I didn't talk to the one that won in my award, but I'm in a very conservative ward. <laughs> I didn't know that when I moved in here. Uh, but I, I talked to the the progressive one, and um, yeah, it's just talking to them because they. It's not that they have to talk to you, but they will if you approach them. Mm-hmm. And it's talking to people. It's getting to know people um, that are in your corner. Um, I'm very open in that I listen to everyone and listen to their point of views. I don't try to influence other people's views because that's their views. I give you my view and I may be wrong. That's why I listen to everybody because, hey, I, the more I know, the less I don't know. So I Same. keep learning. Yeah. So I'm open to anything. I, I, like anything I've said today, I could be completely wrong in anything. I don't know. And yeah. I just need to be informed and i'll keep i'll keep going because i don't want to stop my thing is i have to have purpose in my life my job is not about my money it's about helping um i'm on like disability stuff so that i'm trying to change policies and it's doing something more than just going to work and getting a paycheck if you're going to work and getting a paycheck because that's what you have to do that's fine but in your um in your your other like in your spare time volunteer or write a letter write a petition sign a petition uh, i'm trying to network with more disability grassroots organizers because i don't know if i want to uh hitch myself to uh an organization because they may have problematic things that i don't agree with right now right i know it's hard i i want to give solutions but at the same time in a lot of ways i see myself as like recovering diversity committee member because the other part I find is that you can give the same recommendations over and over and it just goes in one ear and out the other and the policies never change and I know a lot of folks are very excited about our new mayor and you know unfortunately I had you know four years of like silence with her and you know a lot of the other counselors for that matter and then worse when the whole anti-racism um, hearings came out and they were so shocked and surprised. You just, I knew at that moment, I had completely wasted any email, any letter, any mm-hmm. conversation I had with the so-called progressives of the city council, because it's just one in one ear, not the other. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen it, I've seen it since mm-hmm. I started to become an activist. And I would say that was probably before Occupy. Um, you know, it's just seeing this constant belittling of, of the issue. And it was actually, so prior to the um, Republicans kind of infiltrating the whole truth truther movement, you know, the, this was the place that we were having these conversations about, you know, these hidden, like, truths that nobody wants to discuss. And this was long before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, but you know, it was addressed in the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, again, mm-hmm. ignored by the majority, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's so frustrating to, it's like you can have your list and you can give them and give them. I mean, I was just having a conversation this morning with some journalists from Toronto and he's like, well, do you have any recommendations? I'm like, have you listened to a single podcast? Because the podcast alone has 
the resources, right? So, and, and let alone resources that aren't on my peripheral that I'm not always giving every time. And maybe that's a question I have for you is one of the, what are some of the resources that should be more on the minds of the average Joe in or Jane in, um, in Alberta? I think, cause I get really frustrated with the average Joe and Jane is because they think uh like especially the anti-vaxxers right now are just irritating me so much yeah but um it's like the critical thinking if they could just do some critical thinking and actually just don't go along with the masses because my thought is if you're for human rights if you're for one human rights you can't pick and choose your human rights either you're for them or you're against them but to pick and choose your human rights, why are you doing that? Maybe have critical self-reflection. Oh, um, honestly, that's been my biggest piss off about these anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers. They are not around for women's reproductive rights. They're not around for the disability rights. They weren't around for cannabis legalization. They're not around for the opioid crisis. They weren't around for midwifery. They're just not around unless it's them only. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, it's so frustrating because you know, there's a lot of health advocacy to be advocating for, mm -hmm. and they're fighting for a really selfish point of view in the bigger exactly. picture, really. So, yeah, it, it's it's looking at the bigger picture. I'm, I've always taught of look at well, the way I was raised was look at other people mm -hmm. and um, kind of put other people first. Yeah. Um, and part of being autistic, I can't lie, and I'm very empathetic. <laughs> I, I will, one line, I will not lie, but I, I will miss by omission. But if you ask me a direct question, I cannot lie. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so it is just like white people need to do more. They need to understand that they're settlers, that they need to understand they're settlers. They need to understand that this, this what white supremacy is and the difference between white, white, uh, white national is and white supremacy is supremacist and supremacy they need to understand that our system and like colonialism is they need to our our education system needs to stop regurgitating and dumping just do we need to know the facts of 1812 no the war of 1812 no sure we need some facts of world war ii yes do but we need to know why it happened so it doesn't happen again sure, so sure. we need to not everybody needs to go to post-secondary to learn critical thinking because we still need trades. We still need this. So K to 12 needs to teach critical thinking because I think the anti-vaccine movement has shown that there's lack of critical thinking. Well, and I would argue in Alberta, we have to do it in grade nine because in grade 10, kids can just go to straight into the trades and a lot do and they work at Fort McMurray and they never get there. And yeah. that's okay because they're just a warm body that uh, the oil industry can absolutely exploit and will until they either you know hurt themselves get out by themselves in some capacity like it, it we need to do it in grade nine because in Alberta yeah. you don't have to have your you know your high school diploma in order to work around here so Kate, Kate and I we need to do some critical thinking yeah because yeah, you're right. We don't need post-secondary. Like it doesn't. We can't wait till post-secondary anymore. We need K, K to K to nine. You're right. We need critical thinking skills. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't know where that. I 
I I was born and raised here. You know, I did K to 12 here. I don't understand how my own peers are so oblivious to this bigger conversation about health freedom. No idea. You know, I remember when Sean Buckley was was focusing on it for um there were a couple of cases that I I just was like watching religiously wondering what was going to happen and uh the white people get away than more than anybody else and it's just you know if racialized people never get uh media they never get the lawyer they never get there so then they never get fought for so they then have to go into the criminal system with the assumption that they're ne ne um, negligent parents in comparison to the white parent who worked really hard for health freedom i don't know man i i am um, i I, I also don't know what it's like to, you know, have a conviction that you're unwilling to ever falter on when it comes to health freedom, because, you know, I, I didn't vaccinate my daughter right away, and um, we, we delayed, and that bigger picture was, you know, at a certain point when they can start advocating for themselves and say, my head hurts and things like that, and you, you try to give them choices and you know, but at the same time, like it was really obvious to my daughter, she didn't hesitate with this COVID-19, that this was, you know, a global pandemic. It was disproportionately affecting Indigenous people. It was disproportionately, um, you know, not just killing people, but creating people with long-term disabilities. And, and, and like I said to her alone, so look at the cost of a vaccine. Look at the cost of an ICU stay. You know, like if you can be over here, why wouldn't you? Like as a so-called, you know, personal responsibility, personal freedoms, you know, caring about your community for no other reason. If all you give a shit about, like, and I say this because I know our demographic is in Alberta and the empathy and compassion, the compassion is not there. They don't give a shit. All they care about is money, 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 money. And mm -hmm. as a result, okay, if, if your only argument is money, you know, vaccine, you know, twenty thousand dollars a night in in a hospital. Not and if you're an ICU, I think it's even more. So like just if all you care care about is money, you don't care about humans, you don't care about your neighbor, you don't care care, care about community. All you care about is your money, money, money. Get the fucking vaccine done. Like I I like I can't I I can't. I'm I'm I, I understand where they're coming from because I talk about health freedom and every other aspect, but this is one of those things it's like, well isn't the responsible choice to, you know, possibly like I, I, I got my shot on Friday right now. I have some inflammation, a little cloudy thinking, um, my arm hurts really bad, but that's nothing in the comparison of trauma of going to ICU. That's nothing compared to the cost of ICU. Like I can't wrap my head around their stupid argument. And if they're saying they're human rights, I think I've done human, a lot of human rights courses that their one right does not trump the right of the, the common good. Well, their, yeah. why can't I give birth without trauma? Exactly. Like you, you legitimately care about human rights. Mm -hmm. Why are you not advocating for the one basic thing we all do and that's fucking give birth? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or, or the opposite, if women don't want to have a child, stop asking me and stop pressuring me to have a child. Yep. And it's just, I get so frustrated because it's a common good. It's not about you. 
it's about the common good. And they, I find that the, um, a lot of people are very selfish. Um, and that, uh, you know, I can be selfish too, everybody is, but to, when it comes to the common good, I wanna do better and I want my niece and nephew to do better. And like I, yesterday, um, like I tried to, I, I know that I have a lot of privileges. So I, I tried to voice my opinion or not a voice. I try to, when I'm at tables, I tried to voice like, why isn't this person here? Or try to voice the unpopular opinion of certain, like the disability, um, the disability, or why isn't this person here? Or like the racialized person, like, you know why like i i represent a disability voice but why isn't somebody else here not here right um, and conversely I, I know that you've enriched um like the reconciliation action group and the and the book club because you you remind us at times that yeah. this has to be kind of in place for folks so like I, I hope you know how much your advocacy matters no matter what circles you're in thank you and i i like my i like to i I uh, donate money, um, and I, I just, um, I, to, um, yesterday, the, uh, one of the veterans is helping interpreters for, from, uh, uh, from Kabul, so that was important to me, because those interpreters fought by them, by the sides of our veteran, or our, our army, or our soldiers, and they, it was, they put their lives on the risk at, at risk so that was important to me to donate because there's nothing i can do for that besides to donate someone because that's, that's a lot but it's there's just so much going on and, and like yeah i watched about the, the sheltered workshops in the states and how some there's legally they can pay people i, I don't know if this is still happening in canada i can't remember uh, that in the states they can pay people under the minimum wage in sheltered workshops. They just have to apply, and they can pay meet people with disabilities as little as twenty two cents an hour in the states. And I knew that you could do that in Canada when I was going to school, but I can't, I don't know if they changed it. There's that made me think there's just so much to do. There's just so much work. Yeah, there is, and and you know what, like. I think that's why it's important we talk, especially on, you know, Indigenous Disability Month, but throughout, like, thank you for being a return guest and talk about these things. Okay. But I think it's important that we continue keeping, keeping up the fight and, yeah. you know, seeing those intersectionalities and, and <laughs> I don't know, there's so much to talk about, but at mm -hmm. the same time, like you said, keep fighting, keep moving yeah. forward, keep yeah. advocating. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it, it will make change it's just it's slow change but it's trying to keep people accountable it's mm -hmm. holding people accountable mm -hmm. that are in power yeah agreed yeah well that's all we can do that's for sure and hopefully we'll uh you know continue to um unpack all of this i know for me using ableist language is a, a huge issue that i still have to face because i'm an able-bodied uh, privileged person that needs to unpack that and like just quit doing it in some capacity um somebody was giving me a hard time well first of all somebody was saying i was two-faced so they were insulting me 
And uh, so I was correcting their spelling and other people use that as an example of my ableism, but it's mm -hmm. obviously not the same when it's coming from an evil place anyway, which was yeah. clearly that was, but you know, that, that is an example of um, not being accommodating to other people's spelling. And I mean, in my case, half the time it's autocorrect problems, but whatever, you know, I yeah. hate autocorrect in a lot of ways. So yeah, I rely on it in a lot of ways too. So <laughs> And, and, and it's just, it's even people with disability have internalized ableism. So it's sure. calling their own selves out too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's always evolving. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad. Anything else you want to discuss today? Oh, we could go on forever, but I think, you know, we're good for today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shelly, for, uh, for coming on. And of course, I welcome you to, you know, help me in my, um, exit as I'm, I know you listen so I know you know it so I appreciate that and I encourage you to add in if you see something I listen um, I listen to it every time so it gets in my head nice nice it's funny my husband he we've talked about me just pre-recording some of this and I'm like no I want to say it because every time I do um like something that has happened in the week that it's like oh yeah and this mofo or whatever I say yeah. <laughs> anyway uh, yeah. I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and cultural safety and cultural first aid for all of them to create a safer place for indigenous people of color those with disabilities and lgbtq2 plus to speak thank you to authors Cheryl Ward Alicia uh, Fritkin Chelsea Branch of heretohelp.bc.ca about their what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Um, I, I've said it so many times in my podcast, and I just like to highlight it here as part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. Um, internalized racism, lateral violence, and we actually talked about internalized um, uh, disability issues here as well. Um, all of this is a form of violence against marginalized folks experienced by the structure imposed on these lands. Um, you know, and, and it's important if you don't know what I'm talking about, learn about that internalized hate because it, or it needs to be addressed in order to move forward. So racialequitytools.org, uh, what is internalized racism by Donna Bevins, but um, again, there are other uh, types of internalized um, oppression that has to be unpacked. So no matter what avenue, like look into it. Do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. If you see or experience racism, you can also text if you're in Alberta, act to endracism.ca, sorry, 587-507-3838 is the number you can text for that resource as well. Indigenous have been talking about issues, sharing our traumas and reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize marginalized people in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uh, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party, that person directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now there's 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. 
our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational health and justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms, politicians, they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism. They literally have zero business running. It should be understood by all parties, politicians, community orgs, uh, sports organizations. And a really great article I, I said out loud was truth before truth, how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies. If you were to Google that, you would find so many new articles as well. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, there's a First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they also have a text feature on their website of hopeforwellness.ca. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. That also is a 24 um seven crisis line that's toll free uh for non-indigenous people there are distress center lines that usually work in your area uh with 211 but also there is a number 833-456-4566 and if you're a 60 scooper um here in alberta ssisa.ca and if you look up hashtag survivor driven that's what they work with um Another organization that I love is the Trevor Project. They have lots of um, peer support lines and lifelines for trans youth, uh, LGBTQ2 plus youth, and um, their phone number is 1-866-844-7386, and they have tons of more stuff as well on their lifevoice.ca crisis support uh, website. And the kids' help phone here is in Canada, 1-800-668-6868. Violence is an everyday reality. Um, every Indigenous generation has faced it. So I started this podcast to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear my opinion, but sure want to tell me theirs, even though they know nothing about what it's like to be Indigenous, colonialism, constant surveillance of our people, our protests, our vigils, our rights, uh, microaggressions people dealing with internalized racism and those who become gatekeepers and survive off the status quo. Then we have people who are so in their trauma that they stop people from doing the work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. And that's why I started this podcast as a boundary to be heard, but also because we need Indigenous voices and representation because we are not hearing it from you know the mainstream media in any capacity. Uh, thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, and what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I'm a second generation. Um, but that said, I highly recommend people do not identify as native Calgarians, because if you're not Indigenous, that sounds racist. Anyway, thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child. He has supported me down my journey of the Red Road. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism, and to our child who we're blessed to learn from daily, I'm honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. And I hope one day my family, my daughter will be proud of us trying to discuss these present day issues. Um, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. 
if you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc um, at gmail.com or you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a podcast uh, channel that you can go and subscribe to, the YouTube channel. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcast. And on social media, it's usually the pin post. So I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you so much for listening.